The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here on the DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, what's going on, brother? Uh, you know, I'm trying to relax, you know, but still trying to get so much done, you know, a show this week, show in a couple weeks, and then we got the big weekend and, you know, we added another date, so on the Thursday evening, so we've locked in some names for that, some names that are known throughout the uh, the indie world and stuff. So, you know, we'll be able to talk about that and give out some uh, new names that have been added to the Weekend Collective. Perfect. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Well, let's talk a little bit about this uh, coming Saturday. Ground Zero is happening at the FSW Arena. It's Bateman's return. Uh, what can we expect uh, with Bateman? Do you have uh, any announcements yet? Or uh... Uh, As a matter of fact, yes, we do. Uh, we signed, sealed, delivered. Hopefully we got the, the flyer out. But Bateman will go one-on-one with a former No Limits and Tag Team Champion, Cutthroat Cody. So Nice. Nice. That's a good, that's a great matchup right there. Wow. Wow. That, that's, uh, that's exciting because you already got Jay Devel or Jay Vidal defending his no limits championship against Eli Everfly. Um, when you think about those two matches, is it for you just something where you can really dig your teeth into when you have an opportunity of putting together two great matches with four incredible talents, but the styles are different. So, you know, fans are going to get a fast paced, high flying match with Eli Everfly and Jay. And then you're going to get a, just a, a ground them, beat them out, tough wrestling match between Cody and, uh, and Bateman. Is that something that really kind of gets the juices going in terms of, you know, being able to put together matches that are not just the same thing for the first five matches of a card. Well, yeah, that that's without a doubt the semi-main and the main on the on the show. And as you stated, you know, polar opposites. You're going to get two different things from those matches. So it's the perfect, you know, semi-main with Bateman and Cody. You know, hard hitting. You know, you know who's the tougher guy? You know, in that one. While Jay Vidal and you know Eli Everfly is going to be like, who's going to outlast the other guy? You know, who's going to fuck up a crazy move that might cost them the match? You know, who's going to do something super extraordinary that's going to make them win the match? So it's definitely. You know, the two matches that are going to be focused on the show, 
And to be honest, the regardless what the rest of the card is, you know, that should be enough if you're an FSW person or a fan to come to see the show. But, yeah. you know, we also have Damian Drake and Jordan Oasis, which, you know, has the makings of possibly the, you know, the, the show stealer uh, of the of the night. And yeah. Viva Van, who is, you know, putting in the work here in FSW, you know, she's going to wrestle Alice Blair, one of our homegrown talents who seems to be getting a lot of love, you know, in the uh, wrestling community of late. Uh, yeah. TBD, uh, we originally were going to have them work the Suavecitos, but I guess I didn't realize and they didn't realize and they were booked for Best of the West with our buddy Mike Rain. So we're actually still in scramble mode. You know, I, I hit up the Revolution. They weren't available. Sky High's the, big, the Best of the West tag champs. Uh, the reason Cody's in the singles is because Jacob Austin Young was wrestling elsewhere in a singles match, I believe, up in Washington. So it kind of made our tag division scarce. So, you know, we're banding about different ideas. You know, the good old Lethal Lottery, Battle Royal, the last two get a title shot. Not what I really am I'm yearning to do on their first title match. So, right. you know. We got a few days, you know, I put in some calls and, you know, people that we've used in the past, you know, hopefully we can uh, put together something. You know, it's not like it's the anniversary show where then I really could dig deep and make the calls to all the former tag team champions that may not have been doing anything with us recently. Who I actually have had conversations with uh, two of those teams, so... That's intriguing. That's very intriguing. Um, is, is it at the level when you um, when you kind of get in this spot where it's their first title defense, like you said? Um, do you, does it come down to the fact that you could, like you said, you could do a lethal lottery, or you could just find? You know, two talented guys that you like who might not necessarily um, be a tag team, but have the experience to, you know, just to give that match. Um, I hate using the, the term jobber, but more so, you know, two workers um, that would allow, uh, you know, Shogun and uh, Hero to look impressive as the tag champs um but still not essentially put them against you know uh, guys who are green or not ready is that is that something that you actually might have to do in that situation is you know figure out what two guys might be able to work decently together and just you know you've you've had an act for it in the past and putting together you know a tag team on a whim and the tag teams have stuck so is that something that happens in this process? Well, number one, they, they need those reps. They need the experience. They need to be wrestling on a show, not cutting a promo about how they won the tag times. Right. So where do you go? Death Proof, unavailable. Toko Uso rematch, unavailable. Sky High, unavailable. Suavecitos, unavailable. The Revolution, who we liked a lot, unavailable. Lights, camera, faction, 
unavailable. So that also becomes the issues of all these shows that are running that sometimes we don't know exactly certain dates and when they're going. And people nowadays are booking these shows because the difference between them and us is they run their one show a month. So they can book it out in advance. We're doing a future shock. We're doing a casino show. We're doing a high octane type show. So we're, we're, we're somewhere two, three times a month, you know, doing stuff. So unfortunately, sometimes these guys and the younger guys need to understand if, if we're their priority, if I post the date, now I'm going to be pissed off. Because if right. you haven't been booked yet and I give you a date and you don't check with me and you take somebody else's booking, don't be fucking whining when you are available and you're, you know, you're not booked. Like, right. I don't owe it to you to book you only when you're available to us. You know, we need guys. And again, sometimes it is my mistake. And sometimes I didn't, in, you know, get in touch with people, you know, enough in advance. But I do post some when, when we know. So I'm pretty sure I posted April 23rd and May 7th over a month ago. Now, whether these guys were booked or not, I don't know. But when we do, it's like I try to tell people, if you say, like Jordan Cruz, for example, Jordan Cruz is booked for Future Shock May 7th. Send me a message. Hey, Joe, I want to apologize, but Level Up is running a show May 7th. B-Boy changed the date. And being that it's my home promotion, right? I hope you understand. Now, that's what a loyal person does. And no harm, no foul. I understand that that's your home promotion. And you're a main guy on there. And I know Mike Rain very well. So I don't think it'd be an issue if obviously Sky High's their tag champs. So, you know, they, but if it becomes a conflict, and we're not talking about four days, five days before the show, I'm talking about three weeks before the show. Right. Because yesterday, uh, Spider sent me a post that had Damien, oh, a final match, Damien Drake versus Dave Dutra. And I had to send him a message. And I'm like, yo, why are you being advertised for Best of the West? Because I know there's no confusion on my part because he hit me up like three days ago. Like, hey, you got any plans on the 23rd? You know, I'll be down at the school. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure he knows he's working for me because he hit me up about it to find out because, you know, kind of been in limbo after the Vandegrift feud, so he's just trying to make sure he's he's got a spot in, in that situation. So he had to message them because there was never a confirmation and had to let him know he's not going to be there because you know, a Damian Drake's number one priority is, is FSW. Now, obviously, if GCW called and they booked him, I'm probably not going to ask him to cancel a booking when he's working a big show at GCW. You know what I mean? You know, 
if us in LA fights maybe conflict and he's booked with me first, then yeah, I might have a problem with him blowing off the booking to go over there. But right. I try to give those guys who are getting lots of work to Jay Vidal's. Like I hit him up like, hey, I got a big match for you on Luck of the Draw, the first full tilt weekend collective show. Just making sure it's a Thursday night. I know we talked about the Friday with the Revolver show that you will be on, but also trying to make sure he's on the Thursday show. You know what I mean? And I hit him up, and, you know, he's very excited about who might be his, uh, you know, particular opponent. And uh, speaking of luck of the draw, that's going to be the Thursday night of Memorial Day weekend, uh, better known as AEW weekend in Vegas. Um, so that announcement was just made. What is the concept behind that show? And uh, let's hear a little bit about uh, what's going on with it and some of the plans you have. Well, we did a show in the past, Luck of the Draw at a casino, where it was kind of a, a very random things. You know, might have been a, you know, two guys becoming a tag team that never were. Maybe a gimmick match. You know, things like that. We're still putting together the structure of the show. But right. the idea is we're going to be having, you know, guys from all different promotions, you know, around the country that are going to be out here. You know, I've already locked up uh, Adam Brooks, who's wrestled in Ring of Honor and, you know, one of Australia's, you know, best imports, yeah. you know, better than Jonah, he told me. So I don't know. That's what he said. Uh, we got from MLW, who's going to be there. Uh, Hammerstone's close friend, Richard Holiday, will be wow. uh, signed for the show. Uh, another guy making big waves, wrestling. I guess former NXT also, uh, Anthony Green, uh, will be at the show. Uh, Travis Titan, who wrestled for us in the past, did some AEW Dark. You know, those are just some of the, the outside guys uh, trying to get uh, confirmation. I know Bateman's going to be working something during that AEW weekend. I'm not sure if the, the Thursday is available, you know, and just numerous people mixed in with the, you know, the mainstays of FSW, you know, the J. Vidal's, the Remy Marcel's. Uh, Matt Vandegrift will be in town all weekend. You know, we're trying to put together, you know, a big time match, uh, FSW Revolver that we're just trying to lock in. I, you know, I seen some of the names of the guys they're bringing in, which we knew about Trey Miguel, but Mike Bailey, you know, yeah. I know a lot of people in our circles would be excited to see Matt Vandergriff against Mike Bailey. So, you know, yeah. that's what I'm going to pitch toward. Who's Hammerstone going to wrestle against, you know, is Jonah coming in? I know Sammy has worked with him in the past, you know, Adam Brooks will be good for that show. You know, a Damian Drake, you know, again, hoping to do similar to what we did in GCW to make sure our main guys are on that show where we did that New Japan style eight man tag FSW versus Revolver. Uh, Davey Richards is going to be on hand. Now, is Eddie Edwards coming? Don't know yet. You know, so, you know, Sammy had a big show this past weekend. Uh, Trey Miguel won the big belt. Uh, Shane Strickland, thing is, he's property of AEW. 
So there's a good chance that he can't or won't be able to work our Friday joint show. But, you know, this week, me and Sammy have to have a sit down. You know, we've already sold 30% of our front rows with a flyer that has, you know, Kenny King is going to be on the show. Hammerstone, you know, I believe TJP. He was checking out a commitment in New Japan, but I saw he was booked at Warrior on the Saturday, which makes me assume he's not going to be in Japan. So he supposedly is locked in that date for us. So, you know, it's FSW versus Revolver, but it's really FSW Mecca and Revolver having a show together. It's probably going to be a little different than the GCW one, where every match was us versus them. I sure. think what we're looking to do is for that weekend, having the best matches possible. You know, I know I love my scrambles. So, you know, when you're talking a Mike Bailey, a Vandegrift, a Jay Vidal, a Damian Drake, a Trey Miguel, an Ace Austin, you know, there's a lot of talent yeah. that we could pick from, you know, Hey, is Alex Shelley going to be out here? Who knows? You know, I know right. Black Label Pro has gotten a bunch of people that they've hit me up uh, that are going to be out here. Uh, Jordan Oliver's hit me up, you know. So, you know, we're definitely keeping everybody in mind, you know, for this huge event, you know. We're, so we're, uh, I was just going to ask, are we going to get that, uh, that hot uh, three-way match between Jordan Oliver Jordan Cruz and Jordan Oasis? Uh, Probably not. Probably not on this show. Uh, Maybe when you you book an event, you can do it. I'm going to give you first dibs on that one. Oh, man. When you you think about how that's uh, starting to come together, uh, realistically... What is it that you look for in terms then of what kind of benefits does this have for you? What are you looking for uh, as a promoter in the returns of putting together such a big weekend and facilitating pretty much, you know, the middleman, the the main man, just bringing everything together? Um, Is there, is there, things that you kind of want to unlock in terms of what means it's been a successful or what means that this could have had a little more work here or there. How do you go about analyzing what you're putting down on paper? And of course we won't know the results until after it's done, but you have to have some kind of expectations. My expectations You know, being you're a promoter, you know, you're a business guy. Most people look at, hey, what's the bottom line? How much are we going to make profit from this show or this weekend? Well, that's all thrown out the window because that has no influence whatsoever. If we do make money, that is a bonus. The fact of the matter is... We've talked with Sammy Callahan for years. Uh, a couple years ago, we had planned on doing the Mecca with Revolver. 
uh, Memorial Day weekend 2020. And that fell by the wayside. Sammy got really fucked up. So it's obvious he hasn't wrestled or will be for a while. You know, I think he just started rehab. I'm not giving anything away. But I know he's hoping to get back before the summer. We'll see. But the bottom line is continually nurturing the relationship with the hottest company in professional wrestling is GCW. You know, you got to give them all the credit in the world. And, you know, we started that relationship before they became the hottest company in the world. And, And Brett sees that we've always looked out for them, helped them out. Uh, during the pandemic, they had an event at that uh, meet Las Vegas or whatever that got canceled uh, on short notice. We gave them a great deal, let them use the arena. It was an empty arena show, and we gave it to them, you know, basically to help start a relationship. And, you know, obviously it's done well in terms of you look at L.A. fights, it, could be called LV fights because more than half the roster, actually almost the entire roster are people who work for FSW, but more than half the roster is FSW regulars that are basically bred out of, you know, Las Vegas. You know, I understand Eli Everfly is not, you know, an FSW guy, but we use him a lot. They use him a lot. They use Damian Drake. They use Vandegrift. You know, they use Maserati. They used Sandra Moon. Uh, you know, they used Jay Vidal, if I didn't say it already. You know, yeah. they're even using Gatson now at LA yeah. Fights. And, and if you go up and down, you know, the entire roster, uh, I think because of our relationship, it is LA Fights, but they use 10 people out of Las Vegas. You know, I would hope that my influence has helped in some way to make that happen. Yeah. And have you know, this is something that uh, hit me when I was noticing all of the involvement for guys from Vegas for L.A. fights. Have you ever had any talks about uh, potentially doing an LV fights? No, because they use all our guys. So now it's just another competitor that isn't us. You know, how does that help FSW by doing another show with a different name? You know, there's so many shows now, it's forced us to limit some shows. So now it's like, okay, here's LV Fights and... Uh, Jay Vidal and Damian Drake and Matt Vandegriff and Maserati and Eli Everfly and Brandon Gatson and Juicy and all these guys are and Jack Cartwheel and, you know, maybe a Nick Wayne, a Tito Escondido. Now all these guys are on a show and we got another one next week or we got another one tomorrow. You know, there, there's only so much extra money that wrestling fans can spend on. And as you see, you know, some of our shows inside the FSW arena, they draw really well. And sometimes they have a mediocre draw. You know, look at the other companies in town. You know, 
nobody draws huge numbers. The only time huge numbers are drawn are when we do a casino show because that is the Mecca. That is the big deal. That is the night out at a casino. You could drink, you can eat, you can gamble, you can watch wrestling. You know, that's why Samstown and Silverton was such a big deal, you know. And if we did four or five hundred people there, it was like, ah, you know, a little light today, only four fifty, yeah. you know. And, and as we saw, you know, with the Mecca, you know, we did close to six hundred. But you also got to remember, there are people who were very leery of going out. You know, nobody had to wear masks, or you were supposed to, but we didn't. Whatever it was. So now we're starting to get into it. You know, AEW is going to draw big. You know, we saw the success of SummerSlam weekend when all they had was one show on a Sunday and GCW ran Friday night and we did a joint show Saturday afternoon and both of those shows drew fantastic. So now you got AEW in town Wednesday where they probably sold 15,000 tickets and their fan base is the hardcore indie fan base. So people that are in town Wednesday, what are they going to do Thursday? I don't know. Come to my show. You know, fuck Chris Angel. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you can see him another day. You came for wrestling. You know, Friday, they're doing Rampage at 3. So we got two big shows after the fact. Saturday, we're starting early. You know, Q&A with uh, Wrestling Observer and... Ed's show, the women's show. He's got some good names. Miranda Alize, Christy James, Maserati, you know, Debbie Malenko, you know, there, there, there's Billy Starks. There, you know, there's there's good people, you know, a lot of great talent on that show. Then Sammy's running his own show at four. And then GCW, the main event is Saturday at 8 p.m. And then we're still hoping, you know, we're not hoping. We know. We're just trying to figure out exactly what the gimmick, you know, what the, what the style and the type of show, you know, we're going to do on that Sunday at noon. You know what I mean? I, I like the idea of kind of like an all-star event where, you know, Black Label, you know, maybe defends their title, GCW, FSW, Revolver, and any other companies that want to get involved, you know, it, it, it could be a true day of champions is you know i guess i could coin that phrase to where every title is a title match from four different companies you know it's pretty easy for us to do to get two title matches on that show right you know we got five belts and you know same thing with gcw same thing with uh with with sammy you know and, and black label pro so you know that's definitely a, an option of where to go um, when, uh, when you think about, uh, you, you're talking about belts, uh, you know, the FSW women's championship is, uh, vacated right now. Um, obviously, uh, you know, plans are going to have to happen for that belt. Um, have you thought about, you know, how that comes about? especially with the fact that there is talent here with the women, but there's a very small pool of the local talent. So 
how do you go about thinking about what you do with a title? Um, in this case, it just happens to be the women's title. When something like that comes along where you're looking at, you know, more of a limited pool of talent in Las Vegas and how you can counter that with um, people like Viva Van uh, coming in. And you've had it before with like Heather Monroe or Taya uh, having that belt. Does that merit when you have a smaller pool of talent, does that merit having someone who is from California or from Arizona or a neighboring state as the champ to at least have some kind of um, visibility of the belt until there is a new crop ready that can give you, you know, five or six names that can mix it up. Well, where somebody is from has never made any difference to me and who our champion's going to be. You know, our champion was Eli Drake, Brian Cage, you know, Franco D'Angelo, you know, Hammerstone, Graves. None of those guys are from Vegas. The fact that we used Cage and Hammerstone and Graves and Eli Drake a lot still means they were out of California, you know, and our last tag champs, Toko Uso, you know, it didn't work because the guy got signed to the second biggest company in the world, yeah. or at least in the United States, you know, but we've had you know, multiple people, the, you know, the scum, the commandos, the 1%, you know, whether they're from Vegas or not from Vegas, Hammerstone and Graves, you know, the, you know, I can go up and down the line, you know, uh, the elite champion was Graves, you know, and, you know, if we go through the no limits, I'm pretty sure, you know, you can find the people that were not, homegrown or local guys right. you know what i mean so tag team the the von dooms you know the von dooms commandos and reno scum for the first five years pretty much were the only guys maybe more than five years seven years were the only guys who ever had uh the titles the young bucks had the titles you yeah. know so whether it's using a ruby rays a cc Sinel, a christy james you know, Viva Van, Maserati, she's been busy, but we're, you know, we're talking. Uh, Estrella took some time off. We got Alice Blair, you know, Dana Lynn, uh, Bryn Thorne, uh, girl Milo. You know, we've sporadically used a few that we've heard of uh, in the past. And now we have to decide who we feel uh, is who we want to invest in as as a regular you know the, the thing is on the women's side of things there's probably you know one-tenth the women right compared to the guys on the west coast so in reality you're probably looking at one or two matches you know when i talk about it with the like nxt and and these women tag team titles there's not one women's tag team that has been together for years that has broken out. You know, the scum were a tag team. The commandos were a tag team. 
You, you know what I mean? It's like the Briscoes were a tag team. The Usos were a tag team. Like they, they weren't all these singles guys that kind of got plot together, you right. know, to all of a sudden, you know, be that way, you know. Clutch and Sugar Brown, they formed a bond. Cody and Jake were in the following. So they, they had a lot of time together. You right. know, in the women's division, they're all been singles. And you would throw them randomly into the tag. Look at Lacey Ryan. She goes to NXT, and she now wins the tag titles with somebody she had two or three matches with over the two months beforehand. Yeah. Because they just threw them together. They're all just thrown together. So, you know, we got to pick and choose, you know, who we feel. And again, yeah, they can be from out of town, but they also have to be committed enough to be able to make some shows. Right. Like, I don't, ex- you know, it was funny how, oh, yeah, Ty is the women's champion and she never wrestled. And it's like, okay, well, we understand Ty is probably not going to wrestle at the FSW arena, costly, whatever. But we had four or five casino shows and she worked like three of them. Yeah. So it was like she made the she made the majority of the big shows. You know, she made a Mecca. She made two Meccas probably. The No Escape, I remember. Yeah. Uh, so I really don't, you know, get it because then again, everybody needs something to complain about. You know, right. oh, you know, well, Ty is the AAA champion. She's the Impact champion. She's FSW champion. Oh, she don't care about it. She doesn't cut enough promos. You know, it, 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 it's always something. You know, her not cutting enough promos, you know, unfortunately, not everybody's cutting a promo when they don't have a title defense. You, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, look now, you know, just, just because Kevin Cross did it doesn't mean everybody else is going to do it. You know, more people now promote it when they got matches, they got stuff coming up. You know, not everybody is now, you know, lights, camera, faction who, you know, are always trying to put out content. You know, you look at a lot of our guys, you know, that's what got the unguided notice. They put out a lot of content in the pandemic when a lot of people weren't putting out content, you know, and that's the important thing. You know, they're not putting out the content to make themselves known in FSW. They're making themselves, trying to make themselves known throughout the country to get themselves bookings in different states. Yeah. No, that's all very good points. Um, You know, speaking of other states, uh, so this uh, past weekend, I think it was, maybe it was, yeah, I think it was this past weekend, uh, XPW ran a show in California. It was Rob Black's first show uh, back for XPW in California since uh, you know the early two thousands. I thought he um, did the one before where Brian Cage won the belt. And, and he did, but it wasn't in California. That was actually he. Rob lives on the uh, East Coast now, so that was out that way. I think it might even been in like the old ECW. Uh, oh really? Yeah, I was I was not aware of that because I know Willie and Brian Cage. And, yeah. You know, I saw. I thought that was in California. No, but this 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 one that just happened was, and what I found most interesting and kind of got a lot of the buzz 
Um, and Rob obviously has smoothed it over because they're running another show, I believe, in June uh, at the same location. But the pay-per-view ended up being somewhere around six or six and a half hours. For you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did hear people were complaining that they were about two and a half, three hours in, and they were only through the first round of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why are you having, like, four other matches? I, You know, that that's the question. So from your perspective, um, and you've, you know, you've done shows that have gone uh, about, let's say, four hours, three and a half, four hours. Um, and obviously, though, with that structure of your card, it just sometimes guys went long and, you know, they got their shit in and kind of threw out the, uh, the stick. And, and, we, and we misgaged. You know, yeah. that happens in the rumble a lot. Yeah. About the timing. You know, right. you try to go, and then all of a sudden there's the entrances and the stuff, and then all of a sudden the 42 minutes is really, you know, an hour and three minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, after, you know, the Death Proof R&B match, they got to have a love fest on the microphone for seven minutes. You know, things like that that weren't taken into consideration. It's like, dude, we need to fucking move. You know, and then it starts... Oh, wait, we had some production problems early. Yeah, Joe DeFalco always starts to show 20 minutes late. It's like, yeah, because I'm the reason why. You know? It's like, hey, Spider, how about you check the microphones uh, before the show starts? I don't know. But in that scenario, when you are working with the venue um, and, and you're essentially trying to please fans as well, uh, and then, like you said, there's the other things, the technical uh, aspects of things. And then, of course, the actual talent aspects of things. How do you, when you take all of that into consideration, and on top of it, like you said, this was really featuring their deathmatch tournament. What would you have done if, say... You know, you put together um, some kind of title tournament. Uh, let's say the FSW Heavyweight Championship, and you had like a, uh, you know, an eight-man beginning to it. Would that just be the primary focus of the whole night, and essentially then get you done in about a three-hour time frame, or, you know, would you also want to sprinkle in matches? And if you are going, you know, extremely long. A, how do you keep the fans, you know, engaged and, and happy? And B, how do you deal with the venue if the venue is, you know, pissed off that, you know, it's now almost 2 o'clock in the morning and your show is still not done? Well, in most cases, the venue don't give a fuck. The longer the show goes, the more liquor and food they're probably going to be able to sell. You, right. you know what I mean? Uh when we've done tournaments like Limitless and whatever, and it's an eight-man tournament, we also understand that we need to bridge the show. So you're going to have a match at least between the last semifinal into the final, right. even if it ends up being a four-way elimination like we did at the last one. So at the last Limitless, we did an eight-man tournament. So eight people... The first round was four winners. 
and then we knew we would have the final match. So that was five. So we knew we had room for a couple matches. So we bridged one, uh, obviously, before the main event, which I believe was Trey Miguel and Matt Vandegrift. Yeah. Which was which was awesome. And we probably had another match or so on the card and made it seven matches. But when we have done it with eight, you know, sometimes it's four, two, one. There's seven matches. You're going to bridge it with one and maybe do a pre-show. You know, the problem is you're not cutting that match. Our main issue was, I believe, the uh, anniversary show weekend with the Rumble. And the Rumble, you know... It was like, holy fuck. And then it was also 250 degrees in there. Yeah. And I believe it was like, you know, by the time we got out the door, it was, you know, 1120. And I don't say out the door. I mean, like the fans were able to leave because the show was over. Yeah. So that was about four hours and 20 minutes. And we had a bunch at Samstown. I remember that we're in that three and a half range. And I'm going crazy in the back yelling like, what the fuck? Get the fuck in the ring. This guy is fucking bullshitting, high-fiving, sitting at the ring at the end, you know, giving moments. It's like, you won the match. Yay. Fucking leave. Let's go. It's like, you know, what are you milking? You know, it's the same thing when the undercard guy has to walk around the ring at a a mediocrely slow pace. Because usually when I give the run sheet and I say 10 minutes, it's bell to bell. Right. And not curtain to curtain and sometimes matches go really short because a newer guy or a guy who hasn't been there that long oh you said he gave us 12 and it's like so do you think that funny bone seven minute interest counted as the first uh, seven of the 12 like are you fucking nuts you know but sometimes you have to reiterate that to people and that's where miscommunication comes you know, that's why if you see at the bigger shows, I try to get D'Lo, you know, good relief pitcher for me when I can't make the call. But it also allows me to try to handle certain situations that make it really difficult if I'm doing the commentary for the entire event. Right. You know, going from working the door to doing the commentary doesn't leave me a lot of valuable time to go over certain issues. You know, because yeah. I remember the one thing. Yeah, it was like, uh, I believe it was the anniversary show and the Suavecitos came out and out of nowhere, they decided they were going to have a fucking ballet. Like, I went back there fucking live it. Like, what the fuck are you doing? But 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 in classic Suavecitos form, she wasn't even a stay at the ringside valet. It was <laughs> the Walktown valet. He was a student who hadn't been training in three or four months. But the funny thing was, she ended up getting pregnant. I was always wondering if it's one of the Suavecitos kids. Just saying. Oh, man. Um, you know, when you uh, when you think of wrestling in general, and obviously you've been a fan for years, uh, you have your own promotion, Um. I've always been interested in your thoughts about, as a fan, who would you say had your most favorite gimmick of all time and who probably had the least impressive or a gimmick that you just didn't take to? And when I say gimmick, I mean a a character. And 
with those two examples in your mind of the best and the worst, how how is it that you uh, help to guide your guys in FSW when you see certain characters develop? Well, now the question becomes, are you talking about my favorite gimmick that was part okay. of FSW? No, no, just all time, like, you know, the favorite gimmick that hits you as a wrestling fan from any company at any time. And the same with the, the worst. And then how do you use those as kind of the, um, the judging ground on what you can do to help uh, have really relatable and good story characters in your company? I don't know. It's hard for me to say what my favorite gimmick was because I was a big fan of certain wrestlers. Sure. Ravishing Rick Rude, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Yeah. The Macho Man, probably my favorite wrestler of all time. But I don't think it had anything to do with the gimmick. Yeah, I guess the gimmick was part of it. But his whole persona and everything about the Macho Man was, you know, you were right there. Like, this guy was unbelievable, you know, yeah. talent-wise. You know, on the mic, he was crazy. You know, Rick Rude, I thought he was just cool. Mr. Perfect, you know. I, I got a kick out of that when he would throw the football to himself. And, and he, like, those were some great vignettes, yeah. you know. So, so gimmick-wise, out of those three, Mr. Perfect was a cooler gimmick because I remember Kurt Henning in AWA, and he was vanilla as vanilla can be, yeah. you know. And Mr. Perfect was just this cool dude who it was hard to boo him because he was so great in the ring. He was great on the mic. You know, the gimmick of Mr. Perfect. I thought it was the worst for, for Mr. Perfect. The perfect plex. Wow. That, that's a finishing move. Like that, that was the one thing that, you know, may have turned me off about him. In FSW, my favorite gimmick was the following because I put that together. And, yeah. you know, I had this idea similar to the 1%, yet they were two people. But the following was this idea that really came to fruition. I was a big fan of the show with Kevin Bacon. And that's really where I got that name from. But putting the idea and you know, normally you'll have four guys, maybe one's a manager, one's a single, one's a tag team. Well, we had four guys, but Jake was the underling to Bryce Harrison, who was the greatest No Limits champion of all time. And nobody could beat him. But we led it to believe that there was one guy that could beat Bryce Harrison, but he was always underneath him. And then some, you know, injuries and things that happened. Uh, Jake finally did get the match, and it was a great moment. But, you know, that was a, a great character thing. Uh, Sugar Brown was training with Legacy. And at the very first show, they had, you know, uh, a, a showcase match in exchange for not charging me to use his ring. And out comes who I always jokingly called MVP light. It was Tommy danger now known as sugar Brown. And he was the same thing. 
he wasn't throwing the football to himself 50 yards. He would just throw it up in the air and catch it. And it's like, what is this horrible gimmick? And it was terrible. And eventually, you know, him, Remy, and then myself got involved and created the Sugar Brown thing. You know, whether it was Sugar Brown or Remy, it was the idea of being this boxer. And then I put in, yeah, he was an ex-bouncer, Golden Gloves champion. And Sugar Brown, if you watch him when he wrestles and he comes in and does the you, you would swear he has boxing background. Yeah. But he doesn't. But he perfected, you know, the gimmick. There, there's nothing better than, you know, taking something and creating it. You know, Hammerstone and Graves were the gods of war. It was Thor, and he was basically a gladiator guy. And they embraced it, you know, because Hammer had his Thor hammer. And then Graves went out and got the 300 shield. You know what I mean? And it was like, but if you look back at being a Thor and a thing, it's kind of cheesy. You you know what I mean? But things work at the moment. You know what I mean? You know, and there's some guys we're working on some character development and things like that. You know, go watch early Jay Vidal and FSW is Jaden Ridden. And he was an EDC character. You know, and it was brutal, you know, but you have to learn from your mistakes. The one thing that always happens, you know, with at, at, at the wrestling school is guys walk in 18, 19, 22, 25, whatever it is. They have their perception from when they were nine years old and they want to be a wrestler that, man, when I become a wrestler, my name's going to be this, and I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. And we have a young kid that we call uh, Chris Bay's brother, Demir. And uh, Demir has some kind of crazy Lucifer Morningstar character, and he's training a week, and he's like, oh, Joe, I want to show you my character. And I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck. You know, talk to me in six, eight months when we hope you're ready to do something because once you wrestle and you go through things and you watch all the shows, you may say, wow, I can't believe that's the character that I wanted to be when I wanted to become a wrestler. And it's like, yeah, when you're 12, it sounds a lot better than when you're 25. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, even the gobbledy gooker probably sounded great if you were a nine-year-old. You know? And then when Hector Guerrero had to come out like that, he was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a bomb. I hope – I wish I had a contract that was guaranteed. You know? Um, you know, and it's fascinating. Can I answer your question, by the way? Yeah, no, no. You, you gave a great – a great uh, um, idea of that. And um, I think in, in talking about coming in with a character, putting the mindset of a character um, from something that you were thinking of when you were younger, I think the only person who has, that we know of, uh, who has ever really successfully done that is The Miz. I think The Miz pulled it off. Yeah, you know, I I hated The Miz when he came off the MTV and he was the host. And then it was like, wow, what a shitty fucking wrestler. And it's like, wow, 
they stuck Morrison with this fucking bum? Like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this Miz guy is pretty good. I like him. And then he started getting over. And then they put him in with Cena, and then they buried him. And it was like, oh, there went that. But he was one of the few guys that bounced back after the the Cena thumping. You know, when you get thumped by Cena, usually there's no bouncing back. And, And Miz was able to do it. It's crazy that it's like, oh, yeah, the Miz, 15-year veteran. It's like, wow, this motherfucker's been around that long yeah. that, you know. But, again, being in the same place for so long, there's only so much you could do with him. And, unfortunately, you know, it's kind of like the big show was. You, you just get tired of it. There, there's only so much you can do. And that's yeah. what I miss the most about the NWA and Bill Watts and the Florida People were able to bounce around and disappear. Yeah. You know, if Andre the Giant was there for 20 years straight and he'd already lost to the Ultimate Warrior and, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, where's he going to go? Like, yeah. you know, the big show's a monster. Oh, he's, he's going to turn heel for the 700th time. And early big show, which would be, you know, the Giant and WCW, they weren't around that long. So he was a big fucking deal for the time he was there. But it was easy. And if you see, you know, Vince McMahon would pay a guy to not be on TV for six months. All these guys were complaining about how many shows they had to do. A guy like the big show got written off for months at a time because you had to try to figure out a rebranding of the personality. And, you know, the, you know, you say The Miz, the only guy who's reinvented himself 30 times is Chris Jericho. Yeah. You know, he, he has put himself to where, ah, uh, Jericho's done. And then it was like, even in AEW, oh, look at Jericho. He's fat. He's done. He's 48. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, another reincarnation uh, of Chris Jericho. But the thing with Chris Jericho that he'll always have is his gift of gap. You know, he's one of the yeah. best guys on the microphone ever. You know, he can still work, you know, so there's always going to be a place with him, regardless of even if he steps back, kind of like Matt Hardy. You know, Matt's kind of been lost in the shuffle. You know, they put him back with Jeff, which I think Jeff could have came in hot as a a single star and then push off into, you know, the Hardy Boys reunion thing. But, you know, I'm. I'm going to guess that Jeff wanted to work with Matt and that's how they signed him and they had to do, but what's best for business would have been Jeff Hardy in singles matches with, with these guys. You know yeah. what I mean? I'd like to see MJF and Jeff Hardy, you know, I, you know, I'd like to see, you know, Samoa Joe and Jeff Hardy. Yeah. And, and, and also it's a proven ground too, for some of those guys, uh, like a Jungle Boy or a Darby Allen, uh, you know, Ricky Starks, Sammy Guevara. I think, you know, those are the guys you mentioned, those four guys as well. That's where you're seeing the development of that young talent that will be identifiable as AEW talent. So it would have made a little more sense to do that. And I think uh, it was uh, yesterday. So it was probably Monday uh, that the Hardys were on 
dark after dark or whatever the hell the uh one of the internet uh shows that they they tape um they were wrestling on the internet and fans kind of got angry that you know it's the hardy boys and you're putting them on the internet like what is the deal so that also is a very interesting aspect that it's like yeah you brought them in but at the same time utilization are you utilizing those guys to the fullest potential to meet what the audience is expecting um and then to also kind of uh you know i think the audience looks at it as they're being the the hardys are being disrespected by being put in that type of position um is that something you think about when you're putting together shows in terms of how to utilize guys so that you're you're keeping them at the highest value that the fans expect for a person like Hammerstone or you know uh, someone who's maybe coming back uh, they the fans haven't seen in a while um, whether it be a repackaged character or, or them you know having been out with an injury is that something you have to really kind of play with and tinker around so that you're not, you know, devaluing guys. Um, but sometimes there might not be the top spot open. So you have to kind of balance out that, that mid level to, you know, mid top spot. How, how do you go about fitting those pieces together? That's actually one of the most difficult processes that I have on the docket. It's like, you know, Graves, Nevada State champion, they did the combined thing, he became the heavyweight champion. Now he loses, okay? And he's working as a baby face pretty much alongside Hammerstone. We've already done a turn when Hammer turned on Graves. So where does Graves fit in? So now the question becomes, what value is there to have him work a certain person? You know, we did the thing with lights, camera, faction. So they kind of reunited for one day. Hammerstone brought back Graves. Perfect. That, that was a great way. But we had left Graves off for a couple months just because, you know, there's only so many random matches so many people could have. You right. know, Damian Drake went from being the tag champion to being hurt to coming back to feuding with Vandegrift. Vandegrift left. So now it's New Year's Eve night. Now it's January 1st. Where's Damian Drake go? You know, he's getting some matches, but again, there, there's no story uh, behind that. You know, Gregory Sharp, you know, he went from losing the Nevada State onto Jay Vidal. Again, took some time off. That's always the key. Like, trying to freshen up, come up with an idea instead of just randomly throwing it out. You know what I mean? And then he, we had a great feud. Him and Jay Vidal carried that for, you know, a few months. And we felt that was now the time to uh, have Gregory Sharp and Remy Marcel revisit to where, you know, to me, my mind is, you know, Gregory Sharp is no longer hyperstreak because of Remy Marcel. And he has come full circle. So that's where we're going to go in that situation. Uh, 
you know, Ice Williams. You know, he got involved with the faction and helped him keep that No Limits title for a very long time. And then he finally lost the belt. And as you've seen, he's been pretty under the radar until he attacked Hammerstone. So here's another guy. And you got to understand, you know, these younger guys are trying to get booked all the time. And for their home promotion to sit them down for two months, four months, you know, same thing with the RMB. You know, it was we can have Clutch and Sugar Brown now go through the cycle again of wrestling the Suavecitos and Sky High and Death Proof and stuff they've done a hundred times. Right. And it's not going to help anybody. So if they beat the Suavecitos, it's like, well, big deal. Yeah, you beat them again. If the Suavecitos beat them, now the RMB is perceived as, oh, they're done. Then where do you go if they lose to the Suavecitos? Right. So it's trying to figure things out, you know, giving people time to heal up, to rest, to do different things, to put different guys in different positions. You know, Eli Everfly got banged up. So he was just getting some big momentum, came back, won a big match. You know, he's still a little banged up, but he's still good to go. And he's going to take some time off. Juicy, you know, they lost the tag belts. He's going to take some time off. So you know what? Now that they lost the tag titles, it's okay. You know, take take a break, Juicy. You know, recharge the batteries. You know, he signed with MLW. They don't run that many shows, so not a big deal. But being that he signed with them makes me believe that he probably won't take nearly as much time off as maybe he would have wanted. Right. But he just might be a little more picky, you know, on, you know, what shows he's going to do. And yeah. we've gotten so many of those guys. Tenure is an extremely important thing to me. If you have tenure, in most cases, it's because... I've liked our interactions together. You know, there's nobody who's been with me for eight years, 10 years that I can't stand. You know what I mean? So it's like, so when we do do the GCW FSW show and Cody's teaming up with Funny Bone, I'm still trying to find a spot for Jacob Austin Young and Graves and Sharp. And those guys got those spots. And Remy, who's one of the longest tenured guys, and Funny Bone. Even though we don't use Funny Bone as often as the other guys, when there's special things going on, I'm always trying to include Funny Bone in there. You know, when you talk Vegas legends, you know, it's the only, there's four of them. And they all appeared on our very first show. Funny Bone, who broke his collarbone jumping off, I think, a uh, the top of a basketball, not even the, the, the rim, on top of the backboard. And he got hurt but got involved in the main event to allow Kenny King. But Kenny's more of a, another special attraction type of thing. Right. So if you go wrestling-wise, Cody was crashed as Cody, getting choke slammed, where he basically landed on the concrete. And Remy Marcel was friends with a guy named Scotty Ice and just happened to be in town. And we put him in the Battle Royal. And those three guys, you know, 13 years later are still, you know, probably better now than they were then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Funny Bone in the best shape of his life. Cody's in the best shape of his life. And Remy's in the best shape of his life. You know? 
yeah. because unfortunately they know, you know, time's limited. You know, they've been doing this. You know, they didn't do it for 13 years. They did it with us for 13 years. So they were doing it yeah. for four, five, six, seven years before. Like I said, I remember Funny Bone in like 2000 at, at Russia's old school, yeah. you know, which is 22 years ago. So unless he started at 11, like Bodie, you know, he, you know, he's not 30 years old anymore. Yeah. You know, Bodie's I, the only 20 year, he'll be the only 20 year veteran who still wouldn't be 30. Just think <laughs> of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's actually a, a very interesting uh, point. Um, you know, to have, he can have a career that is uh, five decades and he's only 42. So, there you go. 40, 44. So, he yes, can set records. Very, he could yeah. be like uh, Boogie Woogie Jimmy Valiant and do it for nine decades. <laughs> oh, the Boogie Woogie man. Uh, <laughs> uh, final thought uh, before we wrap up here. Um, this past Friday, uh, AW Rampage, a lot of attention on the Adam Cole Hangman Page match uh, that uh, Adam Cole ended up with a barbed wire crown on his head on Good Friday. Um, what kind of, when, when you see something like that, that kind of gets the buzz, kind of gets a trend um, for good or for bad. What do you think is that in a in a bigger promotion since AEW, you know, Tony Khan has not had the experience of running a promotion before this. Is that something that is basically an audible that the guys just called while they were out there? Uh, maybe Hangman just did that because of the way the barbed wire, you know, was when he grabbed it and he just put it on his head. Um, you know, how do you, as a promoter, look at something where a spot or a uh, or storyline um, is controversial, in a sense, uh, and is that essentially then on the promoter, or is that you know is the backlash uh, going to go down on the wrestlers for doing something like that? All right. First off, let's not confuse this with the Raven angle in ECW. Okay. I knew nothing about it. I saw uh, the one big post about Eric Bischoff, uh, the blasphemy with uh, Sean Ross, whatever his name is, that guy. Other than that, I literally saw absolutely nothing about that issue. First off, if they did think of that, it's kind of like, wow, you thought a Good Friday and putting you know, barbed wire on the guy's head? Like, if I watched it live, I would have never been like, oh, blasphemy. I can't believe it. Jesus died for your sins. How can you do this? It's like, oh, wait, it's fucking wrestling. Right. And, you know, there's no way the barbed wire was out there. And it was ad-libbed, first off. Now, the fact that he did it, I could give two shits, to be honest with you. Like, as I said, I did not see anything other than the one post about it. And normally, you know, whether it was 
Nyla Rose flipping off the fan who had the sign. And I read, I saw that a hundred times. I've yeah. seen this once. So there was nothing that I believe, especially in this matrix world that we live in, of, oh my God, about anything and right. everything, that that had a very, very short shelf life that I'm going to predict somebody's going to try to rile it up, you know, in the next week, if if nothing major uh, happens from yeah. now until then. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, it's Easter. It was kind of like my radio show. The guy's like, hey, everybody, it's Sunday. It's Easter. Just want to let you know, are you guys good for the show? Like, why wouldn't I be? Like, I, I, I have to curl up in a fucking cave because it's Easter Sunday, you know? I'm not supposed to eat meat or do a radio show? Like, what the fuck? Well, Joe, technically, being that it's Easter, you would technically be out of that cave that you've been in for three days. Right, trying to find some jelly beans and eggs. You know what I mean? Where was the Cadbury eggs and jelly beans that I wanted? (laughs) You know, that's that's all I look forward to, uh, you know, in, in Easter these days. It was funny. Because Monday, which is the day after Easter, my wife's like, oh, I was going to go to Walmart for the Easter candy. And I'm thinking, like, wouldn't you wait till after Easter to get the Easter candy? Because, you know, it's usually 50% off. And it was like, oh, wait, yesterday was Easter. That's how quickly I forgot (laughs) that it was Easter. Right. You know, being that, you know, 50% of the universe isn't Christians and hates them anyway, you know, maybe Adam Page was uh, trying, was doing it, you know, Rikishi did it for The Rock. Maybe Adam Page did it for the Muslims or the Jewish community. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a, that's a a wonderful, uh, wonderful last kind of take before we uh, go here. Any final words uh, to uh, listeners? Yeah, come check out Ground Zero, man. We got some, we got some good matches planned. Uh, we got some of the uh, Arizona crew who I like a lot. John Wolfgang and Devin Reno will be there. Uh, we got the, the matches that we have already scheduled. TBD uh, will be on hand. You know, whether it's a title match or non-title match, they will be having a match. Bateman and, and Cutthroat Cody, along with Jay Vidal and Eli Everfly, you know, last year, those guys tore it up, and it was one of my favorite matches yeah. of the entire year was Jay Vidal and Eli Everfly. And I believe that was the day that the fans really took notice of Eli Everfly because yeah. as good as he is, he, he you know wasn't around a lot. You know, a few years back, man, him and, him and Jacob Austin Young killed it. But Eli Everfly just wasn't a guy people looked at like, oh, he's a threat to win the championship. So, you know, maybe they didn't pay attention enough. And that's when I watched a guy like Eli Everfly that if his knees were broken and he couldn't fly off the top rope anymore, that guy wouldn't miss a beat because his his mat game is as good as anybody's. And, you know, him with that combination of stuff – you know, I love Ryan Taylor, Gatson, guys like that. But Ryan Taylor is great, but he's not going to fly around. Like, Eli right. can do 
anything inside that ring. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that show is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be really good. Um, and like you said, uh, just those two, uh, main event, some of the main event matches will be incredible to see. Um, and I think you kind of nailed it with, with Eli and that, you know, I think a few years ago he was still, he wasn't green, but he was young. And I think that he's just come into his own over the last couple of years um, because now you can see how everything's come together for him and he gets it. And um, I think that's one of the things we've seen with Jay Vidal. So from that match, just going back, you know, a year ago to what it can be on Saturday night, that is just a phenomenal, uh, you know, Vandegriff and uh, Damian Drake, New Year's Eve, they pulled off the 60-minute Iron Man match. It was very solid and good. I think that Eli and Jay could pull off uh, an Iron Man match because of the fact that both those guys can change up styles during the match to give you a variety in that 60 minutes like Matt and uh, Damian did. So it, it should be a, a match that uh, fans should anticipate and a uh, uh, big fan of his as well and, and both those guys. So. Um, can't wait to see what goes on Saturday. And again, if uh, you can't make it in person, of course, the network, uh, FSW Network, six ninety nine a month. Seven bucks. Seven bucks. Those uh, two matches alone are worth more than seven bucks. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, because Joe is a generous guy, uh, he gives you a penny off of that seven bucks. There you go. So, you know, that saves you 12 cents a year by uh doing six no because if you buy the year package you save even more money. more i believe it's six dollars and 49 cents a month if you pay for the whole year so how is that not an incentive to save six dollars to purchase it for the entire year exactly yeah, exactly that's, that's and hey right. we got that new we got a new sponsor that's right that's right uh what is it body slam pizza Come on, Powerbomb Pizza. Powerbomb Pizza. There we go. What's a finishing mover, body slam or a powerbomb? So I'm going to tell you quickly how this took out. Yeah, so yeah, please. I, I saw it, and it was like, wow, that's kind of weird. And it's like, you know, it's not like a real restaurant. It's like in a pizzeria, you order the stuff. But then I saw it was owned by Pro Wrestling Tees. Okay. So I messaged Pro Wrestling Tees. Shockingly, I got a response back from a fan named Brad Dornick, who for the first, maybe not the first five years, but the middle five or six years was an avid FSW. He would even come in from out of town uh, for some of the bigger Mecca events. He's like, hey, Joe, this is Brad, longtime F. It's like, I know who you are. Like, people think I don't know who he is. Like, he has to explain who he is. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the uh, marketing and stuff for for pro wrestling tees, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd love to be able to do something. We do some stuff with some Chicago companies. And again, it wasn't about the money. It's about the fact that pro wrestling tees has a database of who knows how many thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands. So in exchange for our promotion, you know, on the show, 
you know, they're going to reach out to their email database and let them know about the shows that are going on in uh, Vegas, especially with AEW weekend, because they work tight with, yeah. with the AEW. And, you know, hopefully the partnership will, will continue because they have a national reach. That, 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 this could be one of the biggest things that has happened to us because, yeah. you know, our bigger shows are on Fight TV. They can help promote that, you know, and if we can, if we can give them any love, if we can give them anything that is going to benefit them, you know, we're more than happy to do it. So, you know, if you want to get the McFoley for four cheeses of cheese pizza or something like that, or the four faces of cheese, you know, they got like a Bret Hart pizza and, and stuff like that. Shit, I hope the pizza's pretty good because I'm going to try to see if we get some free pizzas from them. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, that's, but that's what it's about, man. The, the sponsorship like that and, and paying off uh, and it would be the exchange in, in both lights. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, that ends up with uh, not only benefits between you two but also yeah a little bit of free pizza never hurt so yeah and hope, hopefully we can get you on board full time because i am negotiating right now with the vegas good boys podcast so i know you probably haven't heard of them yet but they're ready to break out and and of course they're sponsored by body slam pizza that's right yes <laughs> one right, step below the original exactly everyone thank you for tuning in and until uh next time we'll see you then